And um, I really was, um, I'm sure everyone told me and I just didn't listen because that's uh, par for the course for me. But uh, I, I now now in my tenure as, as someone who's worked closely with, with people who've experienced trauma, I understand um, how big of an in, impact it can have on the brain, you know? Um, it can certainly affect the way your brain develops and the way that your emotions mature and your ability to trust people. And all of that together is like a recipe for difficulty in relationship. Welcome everyone to Bringing Kids Home, a TBHC foster care and adoption production. I'm Kristen, TBHC's HR manager. We are excited you are joining us today to hear stories of adoption and how any one of us, including you, can make a difference in a child's life. Today's podcast is sponsored by our very own Fostering Success Conference. This conference is for current foster and adoptive parents or those considering fostering or adoption. Find out more at www.tbhc.org slash fostering dash success dash conference. We are excited about our first ever conference that will allow parents time to worship, refresh, learn, and fellowship. Now stick around and hear how stories of faith and family help bring kids home. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Curry, TBHC president. I'm so glad you're with us today. Our guests today are Mark and Chelsea Reedland. The Reedlands have lived in Fort Worth for 17 years. Their family consists of six children. Three were added through adoption and three are biological. They're in the golden age of parenting where all their children are fairly self-sufficient. And I'd love that myself. On top of parenting, they also help run a faith-based organization that equips, inspires, and recruits foster or adoptive families. The Reedland story is about learning to be a faithful and just doing what God has asked of us at the risk of our comfort and preferences. They would love to encourage others to take the journey of helping vulnerable kids and families. Mark, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having us. Always a good time hanging out with you. And so we're excited to be here. Same here. I'm excited to talk with you all today. Uh, let me open up with, uh, I heard that you were guys were going to do a conference. You were going to be the main speakers at a conference in the future. Would you mind kind of elaborating? Yeah, I, I don't know if you know, but we're kind of a big deal. I don't know. We're, you know, <laughs> keynote speakers these days. So there's, we're so excited uh, about this conference coming up in August. Um, we think um, supporting and encouraging and equipping and helping foster and adoptive families, people who are kind of in the trenches of this work is absolutely crucial. It's so important. Um, and, and we experienced that in our, in our story, just people um, being a part of our lives made all the difference in the world. Um, as they helped and served us. And so we're excited to be a part of something that does that for others. Yeah, huge honor to be a part of this conference and just kind of share our story. And I get to have my son speak with me in one of the breakout sessions. And so this will be our first time speaking together. And so we're just, we're really excited. Well, we are too, because uh, obviously, because of the way I hinted, it's our conference. It's TBHC's first venture into doing a conference. And we honestly couldn't think of anyone better to be one of our main speakers than you guys. Uh, so we're excited about that August 5th. And uh, we'll have some information in the description of this podcast that people can follow. But 
Um, it's going to be a great day, a one-day event, and you guys are going to be uh, the chief uh, kickoff for the whole thing. It's going to be awesome. Man, I'm starting to get nervous, actually, now that I think about it. That feels like a lot of pressure. I don't know. <laughs> you got well, it. Well, as big deals, I relish the chance to hear y'all. <laughs> well, hopefully I won't let you down. Yeah. <laughs> big deals, relish. That was yes, so good. Yes. So good. Oh Dad joke extraordinaire. I got the mug to prove it. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Well, tell us your bringing kids home story. Well, um, we've, um, as you mentioned, we've we've adopted three kiddos from foster care. And I say kiddos because they're really teenagers. They weren't kiddos anymore. Yeah. And, um, you know, our, we had some, it's been a wild but amazing ride for us. We imagined we were going to adopt a two-year-old little princess that fit nice and neatly in our birth order. And it didn't go that way at all. We, um, we had a, a time after we'd gotten licensed where we were, matched with a, a with a young sibling group and we are one of a hundred families that were matched with these these kiddos and that was kind of confusing and frustrating to us because we're like what in the, what we're not competing for kids here that's not what this is about at all and so um it, all of that sort of took a turn we attended a match event in, in conroe texas and came across this young lady named avery and um and uh we for whatever reason we're just sort of kind of um, just sort of drawn to her picture and, and her little flyer. And so um, we just took it and thought, oh, well, we'll just, we'll make sure we pray for her. She, we just really want to pray for her. And Chelsea is uh, ever inquisitive and she decided to re actually reach out to her caseworker. And she reached out and she was just kind of, kind of have the conversation, tell me a little bit about her and all these things. And, and as the, she was getting towards the end of the conversation, she asked her caseworker and said, hey, you know, if we were, you know, if hypothetically, <laughs> if we were to kind of express interest or, or maybe pursue adopting Avery, like how many other families would be, we be kind of in this with? And she said, oh, honey, no, none, zero. We fully are, we're, we're preparing her to age out. She's 16 and there's no other families. And that was the moment for me where it really clicked. That's, I, I can't let this happen to her on my watch. Like I, I've got to do something. And so that was really where this whole, I think, um, the arc of this journey changed for us from, you know, bringing in a, a, a little one to adopting teenagers. And so that's kind of how it all started. And Avery moved in when she was 16, turned 17 that month. Mm -hmm. And then six months later, we adopted Joe, who was her biological brother, who was 14, and then finalized our third adoption of Jonah in 2020, when he about a week before he turned 18. Yeah, so it was quite a journey. I was... I mean, I had a two-year-old's room completely done and decorated, which as you know, in training, they say, do not do that until you're matched. And they told me that, but you know, I had to have that. It's like nesting, you know? And so I would be out shopping and like literally crying, like, oh my gosh, this is going to be so beautiful buying little tutus and hair bows and, and all the things. And one of the funny stories that was a switch for me was I was out shopping at Ross actually, because, you know, you got to get a good deal when you're out shopping. And there was, uh, I had, we'd been to three match events total by this point. And we'd gotten flyers. I'd gotten flyers from multiple kids at this point. And they were on my nightstand and I was just kind of praying over them. And um, I wasn't quite as convinced of a teenager at this point that Mark was like, this is our daughter. And I 
was in line to check out and there was this probably two-year-old about the age that we were thinking about adopting in front of me and she was throwing like the worst temper tantrum ever and I'm sure it was because like her mom you know gave her a granola bar that broke in half and she wanted one instead of two you know like not a big deal and I was like yes Lord teenager you're right toddlers I'm done with this stage I've potty trained three kids like I knew that you you know, you wanted a teenager. And then I happened to turn around because I heard someone talking and it was like a teenage looking girl and her mom talking. And I was like, yeah, that sounds way more fun. And I looked down and she's pregnant, like very pregnant. And then I'm like, am I ready to be a grandma? Like, is this, and then the Lord was just kind of like, it's all going to be hard, but I am with you. And so like, listen to my voice. I'm going to walk with you and I just want you to do what I'm asking you to do. Um, Cause we'd very much just kind of like, this is our family. We have three boys. So let's get a girl there. There's this ages. Let's get this age and hadn't really honestly sought the Lord about the practicality of it. And so for me, that was my God moment was just, just obey the Lord. Y'all's obedience is is the theme of both sides of that obviously i mean just incredible um as you've explored that over the years uh there's been a lot of results from saying yes over and over again what what are some of the occasions with the kids and your experiences that uh, have been yeses for you that have had great consequences and obviously some consequences that you know maybe in the moment weren't so great yeah, this is, you know, I th- in my opinion, one of the most underrated parts of this, I, you know, I'm a strategic thinker. I, I, I like to solve problems and, and map out systems and structure that, you know, produce results and fix this and fix that and, and all those things. And so typically when I think about this, I'm thinking about outcomes for kids. You know, if we're going to adopt, then hopefully that's going to mean, you know, at least an opportunity for a better outcome for these kids. But what I, I didn't expect was how much transformation would happen in my own heart as I understand my own brokenness, as I'm, you know, drawing near into the lives uh, of kids who've experienced some brokenness themselves and um, saying yes to bringing kids from foster care and, and adopting into our family massively changed my understanding of my relationship with God, the father, and um, helps me really see tons of blind spots in my own life. And, um, of course, there's tons of difficulty in, in all those processes, but every time I found myself really frustrated with one of my kids, <clears throat> the Lord lovingly and gently reminded me that I'm exactly the same. And I think that's something that maybe we don't talk about enough. Um, and so, of course, we are we, we still hope for great outcomes for our kids, but man, it's been such such an amazing thing for my heart and my soul and the health of, of, of my spirit as, as I've grown through those things. Yeah, I would totally agree. I think even when we asked Joe if he wanted to be our son, we actually didn't have a house big enough to fit him. And we we thought, oh, if he says yes, we'll enclose the garage or the patio or whatever. And immediately, you know, the lovely HOAs, you know, were like not happening. And we've just seen the Lord like consistently provide for us as we've kind of stepped out in obedience. And you're totally right. There's so many times 
um, forgive me, my sweet children, if you're listening, but they made me crazy. And I'm like, Lord, I was such a, you know, sweet, kind mom before. And now I'm so angry and have just this bitterness growing in my heart. And these kids, you know, did this to me and the Lord kindly kind of, you know, just showed me like a picture of like a, like a sponge. And it's like, whatever you are squeezed, what comes out is what was already in there. And so just that purification process of me being squeezed was showing me what was really already in my heart that I don't think I would have known and been able to give to the Lord if we hadn't stepped into this kind of world. Chelsea, what about one of those mom moments? Um, if you are willing to be very transparent, uh, would you mind kind of exploring one of those really big mom moments where there was anger, there was maybe that bitterness or something like that, that there's, there's a lot of moms that are going through that as foster moms today. And I think a lot of them think I'm the only one that feels this, or there are people who wanting to get in foster care. And this is the biggest fear they have is that they'll be this way. Would you mind exploring that with us? Sure. Yeah. I was shocked at how hard it was to raise a daughter and my daughter and I have a great relationship now, but I had served in youth ministry for years and like immediately clicked with all the youth girls and, um, thought like, this is going to be so fun and easy. And we're going to be best friends immediately. And it was not like that. We had a really hard time bonding at first. And a lot of that comes from just trauma of getting close to a mother figure and um, what has happened in her life, which I'll let her share her story at some point when she's ready. Um, but just that, that moment of my daughter doesn't love me the way that I thought that she was going to love me and, um, me understanding my own triggers. Um, she would, she would agree with this, but lying is one of my triggers that I didn't realize. And a lot of kids that come from trauma have that tendency because it's just something that flows like a survival skill, um, to protect them, to protect the peace in the house. And I realized quickly that that was one of my, my triggers. And so we would just kind of be at each other and it just took really giving that relationship to the Lord and realizing that it's not going to happen overnight, that this is like the marathon, like she is going to be my daughter forever. And we don't have to be best friends day one. And, um, I was probably all up in her space that no teenage girl would have liked because I was just like, so excited to have a daughter and, um, yeah, it just felt a lot of discouragement, a lot of anger at her, at her previous family, at the Lord, um, of why would he let these awful things happen to my daughter and, Basically, I felt like I was paying the the consequences of things that other people did to her. And um, 
just walking through that journey of forgiving her first and second family. Um, and now when she comes into town, I mean, we have like our mother daughter day always. It's like, we go to Starbucks, we go to half price books, we go to target, we go to Hobby Lobby. And then we binge watch movies like all day and night. And, um, we are friends. We read books together and, um, I just never would have thought our relationship would be how it is now five years ago. Um, so yeah, just to encourage the moms that it is hard. I think as moms, we get our feelings hurt when we're, or maybe it's just the Enneagram twos, like when we're not loved the way that we were expected to be loved, which Mark's like, I don't care if she likes me, like we're parents that are not supposed to like us. And I was not, I was crushed that she didn't love me with her whole entire, you know, heart. So just that encouragement that it just takes time. Uh, that's really powerful. Um, Mark, let, let me ask you about trauma. Cause I know that that's something you're, you're tuned into as well. It's just like, what, what's some of the experiences you've had with the kids and trauma and how have you as a, a dad engaged with people on that? that level, uh, the kids at that level, forgive me. Yeah. Um, uh, this might be too honest. I, I really, really did not understand trauma when we stepped into this, not, not in the way that I should have. And, um, I, I really just imagined that my good parenting was going to solve all their problems. And, you know, I'm a good dad and, you know, my, my love and discipline and my, um, infinite wisdom are, is just going to fix all of their problems. And that's all that they need. And um, I really was, um, I'm sure everyone told me and I just didn't listen because that's uh, par for the course for me. But uh, I, I now now in my tenure as, as someone who's worked closely with, with people who've experienced trauma, I understand um, how big of an in, impact it can have on the brain. You know, um, it can certainly affect the way your brain develops and the way that your emotions mature and your ability to trust people. And all of that together is like a recipe for difficulty in relationship. And so um, it was a big learning curve for me to adjust the way that I parent. You know, my traditional parenting ideals and skills were were just not useful in this environment. And I have uh, I had and sometimes I still do have a really hard time with that. And uh, because I think it's just a lot of stuff that I, you know, it's just um it's just bigger than what I thought it was. And so it was a, it was a big learning curve for me to, um, to really um, key in on like um, ideals of parenting styles and relationship um, to be able to really connect with, with kids from trauma. And um, anyways, it was really, really difficult. And, <laughs> but I can, I can tell you with certainty that the understanding, the idea of connection is, is just paramount. It's paramount to everything. And there was, there was lots of hard decisions in our journey where we had to, we had to prefer connection over obedience. And that was the, the okay. hardest, <laughs> some of the hardest things I've ever had to do. But I think now we're absolutely seeing the fruit of those efforts. And what was soul crushing in a time um, for us as parents is now bearing fruit in relationship with our kids while we, you know, we've been able to maintain connection relationship. And now they're coming to us and asking us for advice or help. And how do we do this? And, and it, it, that would have happened if we would have maintained kind of our, our rigidity and in, in demanding obedience from them. 
Um, you know, and I think I think the the linchpin and all that for me was understanding the lack of control that I actually had. I just imagined, you know, as a parent, if I'm a good parent, that's going to equal, you know, successful outcomes and good behaviors. And that's all there is to it. And I was woefully wrong. That's not at all how it works. We, we really have significantly less control than we, than we imagined. We act, in fact, we can't control outcomes at all. All we can do, all we can control is the opportunity, the connection, the relationship. Um, and then we have to trust the Lord with the rest. And um, how like Jesus is that? And it's so scary and hard, but it's um, it's God's way and it produces the, the best fruit for sure. That's great. Can y'all elaborate and share a, a story of connection over obedience for people, kind of illustrating the difference between the two for everybody? Yeah. Um, I, I, the first one that comes to mind is Joe and his girlfriends. We, um, uh, yeah, we, I'm like, I'm trying to think of one that's like, you know, kind of, yeah, we, yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. When, when, friends, yeah, yeah when Joe first moved in, um, he, I mean, gosh, he hadn't been here for six months or so. And oh, we, God, we kind of, so yeah, we just didn't know. Uh, we just, you know, reasonably felt like, um, at 14 being in relationships, um, just really isn't fruitful in many ways. In fact, it, it leads you to more trouble. And so we were like, Hey, listen, you know, there's gonna be a time for that. Now's not the time we had, we had this no girlfriend rule, which, uh, he was like, yeah, that's not happening. That's not happening at all. Yeah. In theory, it was, we wanted him to be a good friend before he was a boyfriend, which sounds like very wise. It's reasonable. Um, yeah. So no girlfriend. Yeah. So he, he, he's like, no, 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 I'm definitely going to have a girlfriend. In fact, here's her name. And, you know, and so. In fact, he brought me his Xbox and said, you might as well keep this because I'm going to break that rule every single day I live here. Yeah. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> I, I think that's where the light bulb went off. And it's like, we actually can't enforce this rule. <laughs> You know, what am I going to do? Like go to school with him every day or quit my job and, you know, stay in Which business. We, that was part of what we were going to yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, that was our threat. And then after I said it, I'm like, wait, I literally can't do that. And so we I, <laughs> we just finally had to come to terms with our inability to even enforce that rule on him. And um, <laughs> and then, re- I mean, realizing that that was causing major distress in our relationship. And we were, we were like, you know, we were ready to die on this hill. And then the more we looked at it, we're like, really? I mean, I had girlfriends ever since I was in third grade. Like, why, why is this the hill that I'm trying to ruin our relationship on? Yeah. I just wasn't ready to be a grandma. You know, I just, yeah, I just wasn't ready. And yeah, I mean, we even like talked to his teachers, like he couldn't sit next to the certain girl and we would meet at the school and he had to walk straight from with his teacher out the door to my car. Well, of course he just ran and he's super fast and yeah. So in the end, that was really just damaging to our connection and our relationship for something that really um, wasn't worth that. And so when we finally decided like, Hey, we're not, we're, we're not going to like lose our influence and our connection because of this thing. 
um, I think that was kind of the first big realization for us how important that was. And I, and I, I'm glad, I'm so glad that we didn't go to war on that thing because that, that, that's certainly not the thing to, to lose relationship for. And so that's since then it's, it's our, our whole philosophy has been like, Hey, you know, if we, if we choose one of these things to make a big stand on and potentially really damage relationship connection, like, um, we we are we're making a stand on something and ultimately we're going to lose influence and we think it's way a way better um, we have way better chances of being helpful to this person's life if we stay connected because if we're connected we might might ultimately still have influence um, even if they don't do things exactly how we say at least then we have the opportunity to speak into it and offer opinions and that that really changed everything for us as parents because that's exactly how it's worked out you know, we've been able to maintain, maintain connection and relationship. And now we're recognizing how much influence we have in those without taking such an authoritative position. Yeah, we actually brought Joe in and apologized to him that we were in the wrong, that we were being controlling, which is very hard as parents. And he was just like, what is happening? And I mean, at the end, he wasn't like, oh, thank you. Like we were hoping he basically like spat in our face and was like, well, it didn't matter. I was going to break the rule anyways, which we were hoping for this, like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I forgive you. Let's, you know, and that's not at all how that uh, conversation went, but I do believe that it, it changed something that we were willing to say yeah we were we were way over the top and we've never had teenagers we're trying to figure this out we just want what's best for you we want what's best for these young women and um yeah that was that was hard because he was just like I don't care or sorry or not and um he actually has one of the same I mean, he had several during that year, but one of them that he was with the most, he's actually still with, and he's 20. And I just love her. Like she's the best. So it's, it's all come full circle. Yeah. And, and you know, this more than anybody, when y'all share a story like that to the, the Christian church world dynamic, that is so foreign to engage with your children that way. And I, I think that's probably been the greatest journey that I've been on trying to share what trauma truly does to children. And language is important. Um, in fact, one of the things that we are walking through is making sure our language is adequate, at least for now. I mean, goodness, uh, things always change. But connecting the word supporting you know, is that validating or what define what these things actually mean? Because it doesn't necessarily mean in that context that you were like, yay, we want you to have a girlfriend, but we're okay with it for the purpose of connection. Um, and I, I'm just blown away. I want to ask you about the inspiration to do more than just foster care. And then we can get into what you do to engage the churches. Yeah. Uh, you know, like the organization that Chelsea and I are part of is called Hope Local. And um, it, it was sort of born out of our experience at our church. We, 
out of nowhere, randomly had a bunch of families that were adopting at one time, not because of anything the church had done. It was just kind of this thing that was happening. And so we thought, well, we, we should do something. So begin to build some support communities around those families and get some volunteers just to rally around them and meet some needs for them, bring some meals and pray for them regularly, that sort of thing. And it started to go really well. Our volunteers loved it. They were kind of exercising their faith in a new way. Our families loved it because they felt like they weren't alone. And, and so we thought, hey, this is this is going great. Like let, maybe more people want to do this. And so we began to formalize some recruitment efforts and put before our congregation the idea of foster care and adoption. And, and lots of people said, yeah. And so the next thing you know, we had 30-something families adopting and fostering 80-something kids. And and somewhere uh, along the line, we thought, well, like, what can we do outside these four walls? And so we started to advocate for some kids that are waiting to be adopted and some of those things. And it was, I, I don't know exactly when it was, but somewhere in the middle of that, we, we began to get convicted. Um, we began to think like, why haven't we been doing this all along? This is clearly like, this is, you know, biblically and theologically something that that's always been a part of scripture and God's heart and what he's asked of his people. Um, and then also even historically, the church has always been there when there's vulnerable people that are hurting. Um, but somehow, you know, that it, it, that wasn't a, a thing for us. And so we thought, we're probably the worst there is at this. We, I'm sure every other church is doing this. I'm sure there's a million grit ministries. We need to go connect with them and figure out how to, how to really formalize this and do this well. And so we started to look around and, and figure out who was doing this kind of ministry. And we just didn't find a ton of churches that were doing it. Um, not, not in it like a deep, meaningful way. There's lots of churches that, that will engage in some one-off events or maybe providing some, some goods or services here or there, but we didn't find many churches that were really deeply building this into the culture of their church. And, and so that was when, that was kind of the, the impetus behind the start of our organization is, mm -hmm. is beginning to inspire local churches to re-engage with what is a foundational function of our faith and then help them build some um, initiatives and ministries around that too. Um, you know, ultimately we want churches, I think at just kind of a base level to be recruiting foster and adoptive families from their congregations, which means a lot of things. Like I, I think in that bucket, that also means we need to be doing a lot to educate about trauma and about, you know, all, all the stuff that comes with it. And then we need to be supporting those families that, that say yes to that and do that. And and then we need, we need to be finding ways to serve outside our four walls. And so that's kind of what, what this ministry has been for us and how it got started. And uh, we started, I think, in uh, this was 2013, 2014, and then Hope, Hope Local started in 2015. Chelsea, was there a conversation that you remember kind of defining this, this leap? Um, probably not a specific moment. We just kind of, it just kind of slowly, I mean, really with our life, just saying, yes, there was a, another um, ministry similar to ours on the Dallas side that was advocating for older kids. And so we thought, well, we just brought in older kids, like we could probably do that. And um, even similar, like the match events, like we found our daughter at a match event, and we would have never known that she existed because because our criteria was so small when we got licensed to foster and adopt. And so um, it just kind of that moment of um, talking to churches, talking to people and saying like, what does the Lord have for you? You know, don't limit yourself so much because 
you can always, this is something we always tell families when they're getting licensed, you can always say no, you know, if, if there's a child that's just not a good fit for your family and you have to, otherwise you would have all the children, but you can't say yes if you don't even know about them. And so just really staying in a place of yes, um, yes to the Lord, then those opportunities just kind of kept coming and um, never would I have dreamed it is what it is today, getting to have relationships with so many churches and with caseworkers and have had so many children that I've got to get to know through this process. Um, I mean, more than I could have ever hoped or dreamed. Hi, I'm Laurie Henthorne, Donor Engagement Manager at TBHC Foster Care and Adoption. Did you know that there are over 6,000 children waiting for adoption in Texas today? And did you know that there are only about 1,000 willing foster adoptive homes licensed and available to them? These children are coming from hard places and are needing a place to heal. We at TBHC strive to provide homes where they'll feel safe and loved and where they can begin their healing process. What if you could play a part in changing these statistics? TBHC depends on people like you to help change the course of these children's lives. You could open your heart and home to them, or you could come alongside them and help provide for the parents' training or for specialized therapy for a child through your financial support. We invite you to visit our website, tbhc.org, to find out more about us, hear inspiring stories and ways to pray for TBHC families, and to find out how you can be a part of bringing kids home. So tell us about Hope Local. Elaborate as much as you guys would like to. And, and also tell us about how do you how do you convey to churches kind of the switch that needs to happen for people's minds about this is this is real. This is a need, uh, whether it's parenting or whatever the case may be. Yeah, this is um, probably the hardest part of our work. You know, I, I used to think like the hardest part of our work would be dealing with kids from trauma who've experienced those dark, difficult things. Or, or there's just a lot of difficulty when you're dealing with, um, you know, parents who've experienced trauma that have now passed that on to their kiddos and all those things. But really, I, I think one of the most difficult things in our work is changing minds about what um what has traditionally worked for parents and changing and just educating people and helping them understand what trauma is. Um, like I said before, I'm sure everyone told me at our agency told us what this was going to be like. And I'm like, no, 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 I, I, I got this. Yes. Don't worry. I'm a great dad. It's going to be awesome. And I, and I, the schedule tight, yeah, yeah. printed, yeah. laminated. There, there's just something about, um, I, and I think this is, somehow somehow in some ways I, I think it's really common obviously this isn't true for every church but it's really common that we've built cultures in our churches where our highest pursuit is our own comfort and safety that we're you know building these lives where we have a nice house and a nice car and a great job and a life and we've got some friends and you know it's great and not that any of those things are inherently bad but I think in that process somehow we've insulated ourselves from you know difficult things and um, and I and I think that's why it's so foreign to us in the church. It was was to me, and and so um, w one of the hardest things that that we do, and one of the things we're working really hard to do, is help um, more of the big C church understand um, what it what it means to be a vulnerable kid or a vulnerable family, 
and understand their role in um, serving those families. And so, um, you know, it takes a lot of training. It takes a lot of sharing stories. And, and, and really what we found is most people really can't connect with it until they experience it. And so getting as many people as possible engaged in some form of serving or connection to some place that's serving vulnerable kids and families is the only way for the light bulb to go off. Like once they experience it in their lives is when they finally um, can kind of understand it in a deeper level. And so that's the most effective thing that we can do is help people get engaged in some sort of serving, whether that's foster care or adoption or supporting families who are doing those things or serving at an organization that serves those, those kids and families, kind of having some real world life exposure to that is really the thing that moves the needle the most. And so that's one of the things that we're after in our churches is to help, you know, in order for people to understand, we need to get them engaged. Yeah, I think to just it being okay to not be okay. You know, you hear that a lot, but I remember at the at the beginning of all this, just feeling really isolated in at church. I had been in a women's group for like eight years, and suddenly I felt as though I couldn't share what was going on in my life because it was so dramatic. And we have this almost culture set if we, I think you said it earlier, you know, good parents equal good kids. Well, if my kids aren't doing good, then I must not be parenting good. And there's some things that are just kind of normalized in the foster care world. One is a million acronyms, um, but even like psych hospitals, suicide attempts, cutting, um, things in those natures, runaway is pretty normal um, in this world when you're parenting those children. Um, and to tell your small group that you're going to the psych hospital because there was a suicide attempt is very overwhelming and almost people don't know how to react. And just trying to bring more awareness of what that trauma does so that the same as if your kid has cancer or a broken leg, you know, it's so quick, the church will do a meal train and make sure you have all the things. But when your child is suffering with mental illness um, or they're getting kicked out of school, um, there's almost a wall that, that felt as if it went up. And so just really a lot of education that the brain is not the same. It has been damaged and there's results of that. And so just to still wrap around, like it's, it's okay to, to have to do those things. And, and, and how do you support moms that are, are having to do those things? I think it's been a big, just conversation with, with leadership in churches so that they know how to respond to, to children that are can't be in childcare or can't be in youth group because of their behaviors. Yeah, I always think about how hard it is, like in small group, and when you know you're in small groups or whatever, you all come together and pray at the end, and it's like you're going down the list. Well, what can I pray for you for? And someone says like, "Oh, my dog's having surgery on Friday or whatever," and it's like my son tried to murder me, and it's like those are very different <laughs> worlds, <laughs> and so you know, we it's really important I think that we we train the church to respond well to these things and how to deal with it and navigate it. And I I'll ultimately, um, there's a ton of work to do there, but I, I'm, um, 
I'm hopeful that that's where so much more health can be brought to this arena in a, in a that it's safe for anyone in those settings to be open and honest about what they're dealing with and have the support in those moments that they need. I, you know, I hate to be a part of that storytelling about small groups, but I'll share one is we were sitting and it was an icebreaker question. So it was supposed to be a fun first opening. And I believe the question was something like, if you could go back to any point in history and engage with a person, what would that moment be? And I was first. And so I answered very honestly. I said, I would go back to my son being born in the hospital and I would hold him. I don't think there was anyone there to hold him. And, you know, what did that do to that group? It brought it way down. Sucked the air right out of that room. Yeah, I just ruined it all. Uh, But, you know, and and there was recovery from that. but, But nobody knew what to do with that. It was a moment of, it was genuine for me, um, but it's so powerful to have people wake up to it though. As a result, one of that, one of the couples in that group started the process, you know, so I'm grateful I was willing to speak. What is a way that you guys would like everyone to be involved in Hope Local? What is, what is something that people could do today just listening in? Maybe they're not the pastor of the church or something like that, but what is a way that people could engage with y'all today? Yeah, we do have some volunteer opportunities, um, but there's there's tons of ways. What, one of the things that's been most helpful to our organization over the past few years is um, we've come to find that there's zero pastors interested in me telling them how to do ministry. It's weird. I know it's so weird, uh, but they are not interested. And so uh, we are, you know, if I cold call a church or cold email, I'm getting nothing. But if 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 you attend a church and you introduce me to your pastor or to a leader, it doesn't have to be the pastor. Um, they're much more open to hearing a conversation. And, and so almost all of our success with working with churches has come through um, just kind of relationships. Someone who's in a congregation who knows the pastor or knows a leader and can get a meeting and get us together for coffee where we can chat and just talk about these things. It's been so helpful. And so if you're listening and you attend a church and your church really has no culture around this or no formalized ministry or efforts to serve vulnerable kids and families, we'd we'd just love to connect. Maybe um, there's some way that we can be a resource and help you and your church. And so um, you can connect with us. Um, Our our website has some some cool little places where you can uh, shoot us a message or you can reach us through email mark uh, mark at hopelocal.com and chelsea at hopelocal.com. Making those connections is really, really, really valuable um, to us. Yeah, I would agree with that. Just connecting us with your church. Um, and then something super low level is whenever we partner with churches to advocate for kids, um, just going on our social media and sharing those kids' stories um, to your circle of friends, because you just never, never know um, when a match could be be made where they see that child and they're like, I think that's my daughter, you know? And um, so just kind of partnering and, and that advocation is, is always helpful. And of course, it, we all, uh, always welcome um, some, some monetary support as well. We, we rarely charge churches for our services. We found that money is always the biggest barrier of entry for them. And so we settled it in our hearts long ago that I would, I would much rather fundraise from individual supporters 
then let money be a barrier to the church getting into this arena. And so we're, we're all private, private donor funded. And so, um, you know, monthly support, one-time gifts, you can also find that stuff on the website as well is huge, hugely helpful in this mission. And so we, we certainly appreciate any of that. And we'll be sure to put your website in the description and, um, our partnership has meant a lot to me. I'll, I'll go ahead and just share that. We've we've met on several occasions. Now uh, we've shared a meal each time, and I think that's always been the best way to get to know people. Engaging with y'all has been inspiring. It has been it, it's it's truly hope. I mean, you're what you're doing is is making a difference in kids' lives by making connections. And I can't imagine a better a better partner to help kids in this community. Um, and around Texas, I know, is is basically the biggest possible picture you can think of, right? Uh, same here. Is there anything about what you can tell people about TBHC's relationship with y'all that y'all would mind recommending? Yeah, you guys have been such a faithful partner. There, There's lots of it. I, you know, and these are things I had no idea when we first were getting into this. There's tons of agencies around here. And um, they're not all wonderful, you know? Um, but you guys, I... I fully and wholly believe that you're um, serving kids and families well, and that the heart behind that is um, is focused on the right things. There's there's no pursuit of of anything outside of doing the right things, and and so we you guys are certainly a trusted partner, which is really important, you know, especially for people who are making such major life decisions having a partner that you can really, really trust and believe in is so crucial. And so we've been super thankful for you guys' partnership and communication. And um, you guys have always had our backs and and you guys have just served so well across many different arenas. And so we're super thankful to have you guys as partners. Yeah, Hope Local is really, you know, a bridge between the church and, and state agencies. We're not an agency. We do not license families. And so we really get the honor of meeting all these agencies. So when churches say, hey, we want to recruit, what does that mean? Um, a lot of them don't even know the term get licensed or things like that. We easily can say TBHC is, is a great agency to partner with um, for your families. So we, we are very thankful for you. Well, you are kind and thank you for that. A uh, whole bunch. L- let me close by asking y'all my, one of my favorite questions. What is what is the one thing that you want everyone to know about foster care or adoption? For me, I, I think in this journey, I, I've had revelation of the idea of of what like sort of living like a, a life in God's calling, a blessed life looks like. And I used to imagine it meant that I was, you know, six, you know, I had a great marriage and a great family and I was successful and I was able to get a nice house and I was able to be comfortable. Um, but the more time I spend in scripture, the more time I see really an opposite picture painted all throughout scripture in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, God almost always calls us into difficult things or things that we are really not equipped for or are kind of above the water level that, that we can swim in. And what what a real blessed look, life looks like, I'm, I'm seeing and understanding now, is, is not just being comfortable comfortable or secure or safe, but instead it's, it's just stepping into difficult things and still experiencing God's peace 
in joy in the middle of all those things. Because what inevitably happens when you say yes to the Lord and step into something that's really difficult, you actually find the most joy there, the most peace there, because you end up being fully relying on him. You're forced to be close to him and trust him. And, and the thing is, is that he's very trustworthy. He's faithful. And so, yeah, in uh, foster care and adoption and kind of just serving in this arena can often be very difficult. But I, I think it's worthy and right in everything that as believers, we're supposed to be a part of. Yeah, that was great. Um, yeah, I, one thing, this might be too real is learning like the idols that I had in my life all through scripture we see in the old testament idols um more like statues and 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 other gods and the Lord started showing me more in in our life what idols look like and mine were definitely my children um and I, I didn't realize that before, but they were, they were my idol. They were my everything, making sure I was at every field trip on every school board that they, you know, that their life was, was perfect. They, they took all of my attention and nothing was going to mess up this, this idol I had created in my life. And so really just asking the Lord, like, what are the idols that I've set up? Are there things that are like untouchable to you? And in that, just taking one step towards that. So finding a way to serve, connecting with, um, maybe just doing babysitting for a foster parent to give them a break. I mean, you don't have to go straight in and sell your house and take in all these children that may not be what the Lord is asking of, of you. And you all have different seasons. We're actually in a season of rest right now. We haven't had a placement in, I don't know, six months or something like that. Um, and so it's okay to be in different seasons. It's not all going to look the same, but just, just ask the Lord, what, what do you have? Cause there are people around you that are hurting. There is probably birth moms that you run into all the time that are really struggling and on the verge of losing their kids to foster care that, that want to parent. A lot of times we think of them as just these drug dealers that hate their kids. And that's not really the picture. It's people trapped that want to parent that, that don't have support. And so just really open your eyes and, and ask the Lord, who is around me? What do you want me to do? And just start taking those little steps because it can seem really overwhelming, all the needs, and then you almost freeze. So just slowly lead as the Lord leads. Guys, I'm overwhelmed. It's a, been a great conversation today. Um, thank you guys so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having us. Um, always enjoy hanging out. And um, we'd love it if you would play us out on your mandolin, please. <laughs> it's not in tune. <laughs> so, <laughs> Okay, well. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to get in touch with today's guest or any of our previous guests, you can contact us through our email, podcast at tbhc.org. That's podcast at tbhc.org. Leave us a comment, recommend a guest to our show, and give us a five-star review wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe.
For more information, check out our website, tbhc.org, and discover how you can participate in bringing kids home. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> this is exactly what we needed. Yeah. <laughs> Woo, all right. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>